I suppose if you're a city person, and I was one of these people before I came into the industry, and I've got plenty of friends of mine who are, a lot of what they see in agriculture is a bad news story. Every industry has its challenges, but there's as big an opportunity in agriculture as any other industry that, I, that I've ever come across. And it's about trying to get that message across to people in the city that it's not all doom and gloom in ag. It's, there's a very vibrant and successful industry here. For me, agriculture punches well above its weight. It's not an industry that, that gets nearly as much recognition as it should. So you're working in something that's, that's far bigger than yourself. I hit record and it wasn't even recording. Welcome back to the Humans of Agriculture podcast. I think that's probably a pretty good sign that we are getting towards the back end of the year, the little errors that we make. Now, I'm not sure how many episodes we've got left for the year. This potentially could be the last one, but I'll be back on to give you a little bit of an update when the time comes. But today, let's jump into finding out a little bit more about who is and what has the pathway been like for Nick Crundle. He's currently the CEO of Market Check. He's only a few years older than me, which makes me kind of question be like oh my god the bloke has really planned and been really strategic about his career he's in his mid-30s and he is now running the grain marketing business market check when i became aware of nick's background and story he grew up not too far from bondi he's a sydney boy he had a small connection to agriculture through his grandparents property but really he fell into agriculture as kind of a byproduct of not getting the marks that he wanted to study straight economics. So he studied ag economics a whole lot more successfully than what I did. And from there, his career, I guess, has kind of evolved. He he started to realise that he actually quite enjoyed agriculture. Obviously, the people are pretty bloody good. But it was through a summer internship that he did with Meat and Livestock Australia that really showed that this was where he wanted to be and it was where he wanted to build his career. From that moment on, he became quite strategic about his career and thinking through what were the different avenues and opportunities and how would he shape his career pathway to be in control, but at least have a bit more of an idea and input into where he was taking his career. In our chat, he's six months into the role of CEO. He's been with Market Check for quite some time, but it was definitely a big step up. So I wanted to understand what's it been like? How's he approached building the team, taking the team in a new direction? What's it like to be a young CEO in an agriculture business? And if he got the chance to head back to Cranbrook and chat to year 10 students, what's he going to tell them about what a career in agriculture can give you when you're based and living in Sydney, but also when you've grown up that way. It's a great chat. Thanks, Nick, for taking the time and let's get into it. Firstly, it's good to have another kid who grew up in Sydney, but you've definitely rised through the ranks and now Chief Executive of Market Check. And I think for you, maybe at the end of it, we can do a quick run around the country of how Harvest is going, but I'm interested to find out more about you, Nick, and you are a Cranbrook boy. You're a couple of years ahead of me, so we never would have crossed paths at school. Not that I was a rugby player or anything, anyway. So, but I'm interested. A Bondi is it a Bondi boy, or am I putting words in your mouth now? Uh, I say Bondi because it's easier to say that uh, for people who don't come from Sydney. But in the Bondi area, yeah, yeah, Sydney based. It's bloody cool. So, tell me, agriculture. How did you fall into it? What's your earliest memory of ag? I suppose I did actually really fall into it. My earliest memory is probably from my grandfather, who was a cattle farmer up in Inverell. Not a big property. So I used to spend a little bit of time up there, which gave me a bit of an affinity for the land and for farming. But that we sold that farm once he passed away and, and I lived in Sydney almost the entirety of my life. But, you know, I went through school. I went to 
things for a couple of years and a lot of my friends were from the land so I, a lot of my social group was farming based but all of that sort of transpired through my schooling life again I, I didn't have any particular passion for agriculture at that point i finished my schooling at cranbrook as it what did you want to be at that point I, I hate to say it, but i wanted to be a real estate agent i thought that was uh a career for me so i was well off on the wrong path at that point but that's probably not unusual for a you know year nine year ten student but uh, as i finished school what was it i'm interested oh i don't i don't know i think it was just growing up in sydney and you know it seemed like a pretty easier career to make a lot of money in and not work particularly hard which at the time i thought was relatively attractive but uh i'd like to say i'm a little bit older and wiser now but you know, as I finished school, my school had no affiliation with agriculture, the one I finished at, at, at Cranbrook, and agriculture was never even a consideration in terms of a career path. It was only until I got to uni where I did agricultural economics where I sort of started to delve a little bit more into the ag side of things and quite liked it. And I, I was looking for a, a summer internship, basically, to pad out my resume, as, as we all do when we're at uni, and, and managed to get a job through a friend of mine Meg Davies at um, Meat and Livestock Australia in their sort of economic reporting team. So from there, I was really enjoying the markets and the and the economic piece, but equally loved the culture that came with working agriculture. And so from that point, I, I sort of decided that I think agriculture was something that I had a real passion for. Basically, I, I didn't know a lot about the actual production of of any agricultural commodities, but I started doing a little bit of you know, asking around people I knew about beef trading and grain markets and primary production. And basically, through all that, I just decided that grain markets uh, is something that I was the most passionate for and I saw align the best with my skill set. So from there, I was told that because I came from Sydney, I needed to get a better affinity with the land and, and how it all works. So I took a job in Young, New South Wales, the cherry capital of Australia. And from there, lived in the country for a couple of years and, and absolutely loved it and loved basically working directly with farmers. And from there, I've just been kind of my, my career's evolved as it always does. But that was really the point at which I decided that this is the industry that I'd really want to pursue. And, and, and it was more about getting closer to the primary producer, the actual farmer that led to that decision. Now, did you play for the young yabbies and alongside the millennials in, in young? Oh, I, I did actually play for the young Yabbies. I was pretty hesitant. I'm not much of a footy player, to be perfectly honest. And I was hoping after school I could ditch it all together. But as you'll appreciate, once you move to a small country town, if you're an able-bodied 22, 23-year-old and your boss is the president of the young Yabbies, you're, you're more or less inscripted into the side. So I did actually play a few games for the young Yabbies. But yeah, I wouldn't say I left any sort of mark uh, on the team uh, successfully. <laughs> I was the same at Cootamundra, but I was this tiny little whippet halfback that, yeah, had given up footy at school because I was too small. But I want to jump back. The choice to study ag economics, was it more – because it's funny, I went down this exact same pathway. You actually did it successfully because you passed it and finished it. I made it 18 months before statistics caught up with me and I made a choice before I got kicked out. But that's a story for later, Nick. Um, why ag economics? Well, I suppose – to sort of add some um, alignment to your story, I um, I love to say going into agricultural economics was a uh, decision based on passion and, and all this sort of stuff. But 
in reality, I, I wasn't a particularly great student for a large part of my schooling career. And, and economics at Sydney Uni was a very high entry mark. And, and therefore, I, I decided to do agricultural economics with the every intention of basically uh, leapfrogging it into an economics degree once I was in the in the university. But thankfully, that decision, you know, that I decided to do that, because once I actually got to agricultural economics and started working in the industry, um, you know, it became very clear that, that it wasn't an industry that I was, that I, that it wasn't an industry I was going to leave and one that I actually wanted to work in. So yeah, I'd love to say it, it's got some romantic story, but realistically, it was, um, it was a necessity to get into Sydney Uni and and thankfully, that's the case, right? Because it's, uh, I think, led to a career that I'm relatively proud of at the stage. So the thing I found really difficult at Sydney, and I think because I literally, you were obviously gunning for an economics degree and got the marks for ag. I literally only just got the marks, I think, to get into ag economics. But the thing I really struggled with there was that it was, I didn't find there was enough like correlation to agriculture. I think I remember my first lecture with this big curly haired Einstein looking lecturer and he was talking about fisheries and things and it was like mm, it's literally like the context has been given to agriculture but I was like a very much a visual learner and I struggled with that whole piece of yeah trying to draw the two dimensions it was literally we could have been talking about any other widget or gidget we just used fish as, as the piece and that was actually where I started to then look at other avenues and that was the part which I kind of struggle with did you find that difficult absolutely i mean I, the biggest critique that i've got of the university degree i did and and more broadly speaking i think a lot of the university degrees is not connecting the theoretical with the actual reality i mean i spent hours and hours poring over these enormous equations and these models and all this sort of stuff that really now i'm you know well and truly into my career i've had absolutely no use for so I think there's a there's certainly a need for some really good grounding in economics and um, all and statistics, but the level at which we went down these paths, I don't think really correlates much to real life. And in saying that as well, there was certainly in my experience very little sort of uh, avenues to explore what careers were actually available after you finished these degrees. You know, there was never really any connection to say. You know, these degrees are really suited grain trading or grain advisory. Is this sort of, this is what it entails. And these are the things that are good to know in these careers. If you want to go into primary production, agronomy, stuff like that, this is what you want to be doing. There was a bit of a disconnect, I suppose, between the academic side and the career slash reality side of it. So um, I totally get that. And I, I struggled with it a lot. And I was only lucky enough to fall into a good role uh, in my summer internship to kind of spruik my interest enough to do my own research but i think it's something that we definitely need to improve uh, and it's probably about getting people to come into the universities and speak to the students and let them know what areas are really important in reality and what er and what it is to do these roles to let the students kind of make a bit more of an informed decision because yeah as you say it can get pretty deep into the academia in some of those subjects and and uh I've forgotten it. I don't know if I learned it all that well to start with and I've forgotten it since and it's never come back to bite me in my career. So, I want to know, because you're quite strategic in that choice of doing ag economics with that potential play of doing economics. Have you approached your career the same way, like really thinking through where do things piece together or has it been by chance? I think past the very junior side, past the summer internship with MLA, um, I did do a fair bit of research. I called a lot of people. I went on a bit of a listening to go and basically source the opinion of anyone who would 
basically give me one and, and from there I, I sort of made a decision that grain marketing or or grain trading was the plan and since then I've had a number of different roles in the industry you know I think there's a fair bit of luck in things working out in your favor and working for the right people and the right right businesses which I think I've been very lucky to do but but equally you know I think that that there is a lot of you know which way you end up going in your career and the decisions you make have a huge impact obviously on on where you end up and and I kind of recognize that quite early and, and do a lot of you know internal analytics about what I want to be doing now in five years and ten years time so I do think I do sort of approach those things fairly strategically because they're huge life decisions absolutely like where did you find these people and what was it that gave you the confidence to go and seek them out I found them through my friends, basically. I, as I said, I, I went to school at one point with a lot of people who came from a farming background, same as agricultural economics. There's a lot of people who have family or, or industry contacts. So it was about utilising network. I think they're all there. I, you know, We get people at Market Check who hit us up for advice. We're always very happy to, to sit down. I'm very happy to sit down with, with people who are starting the industry. I think it's just the right thing to do, especially when people have done it for you in the past. In terms of confidence, I didn't really have all that much confidence, right? I, I, it wasn't as if I bailed them up with a lot of bravado. It just, I just basically had to draw a deep breath and ask and nervously turn up for a coffee and have a few pre-planned questions and try and fumble my way through it. But once you do it once or twice, which I'm sure you'll appreciate, it, it just becomes second nature and you start picking up on patterns and things resonate with you and and then you you know you want to basically draw a lot of opinions in and then as you sort of continue to do it you sort of naturally start honing down on things that you're interested in and you know sorting out those people who who might help you out in that interest and that's what I sort of did I started with a pretty wide umbrella and then narrowed it down I actually still get that like when when I'm meeting someone for the first time in public especially in a coffee shop absolutely pack it like when I'm getting there and there was only well maybe in the last couple of months there's this fella and I was meeting him for the first time and we turned up and the coffee shop was kind of busy and I was like oh I think that's him I'm not sure anyway I went inside really awkwardly went onto LinkedIn looked at his photo and was like and because he had a beard before this time he didn't have a beard and I was like fire I don't know if that's him but here I'm at bloody 31 and well I feel like I've met enough people to kind of walk up to someone confidently but I tell you it's still got a try and find that within <laughs> yeah 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 I, I mean i'm exactly the same it's it's not something that i naturally like gravitate towards so i do a bit of prep before meeting that person so i know what i'm walking into but equally now i think as i get a bit older and and i'm having a coffee with younger people it sort of strikes me as strange if they come across nervous because i i just you know you sort of almost just want to tell them, like, don't worry about it. It's just, you know, I'm just a normal uh, 34, 35-year-old and I'm, you know, I get nervous all the time as well. There's no need to, to sort of think this is anything more than just having a coffee. But, yeah, it's 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 probably something that's going to stick with us for, for a long time about getting nervous meeting new people. It's just about, you know, knowing what, what works for you in terms of engaging with them, I suppose. Yeah, and I think it probably shows there's, like, a bit of care as well. You're like, oh, it's not just turning up and who cares, like, kind of what happens. It's a bit of a bit of humbleness and kind of investment in kind of the person you're meeting as well absolutely yeah 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 exactly so yeah i mean you never know where you're going to meet these people again right so yeah i think it's just a bit of a sign of respect to do a little bit of research and and, and be engaged in that meeting rather than turning up and uh yeah just not putting much effort into it 
Now, I was saying to you beforehand, and it was at the point where I was like, oh, God, we've got to hit record here. But I think for me, it's amazing as I've started to have more of these conversations with different people and you see the different pathways that people have come. And actually, there's quite a – well, I'm not going to say there's heaps, but there's quite a lot of people who have started from, say, a metro background and have had that love of agriculture. And someone recently kind of – someone recently said to me that agriculture is that industry that you're either born into it and it's in your blood or you at some stage get injected with it. And it's – there's something about – about it that really draws you in but like do you still feel like a bit of an outsider in the industry or is it something that you've been able to overcome uh it's been something i've largely been been able to overcome uh when i first started in the industry and i was dealing uh when i was in young and and wagga and a few different places that i lived i was i was advising farmers basically so i was at the coalface and and some opinions at the time were, you know, if you don't know how to grow it, you don't know how to sell it, and you you don't have that affinity with the land, and that always kind of um, irked me, I, I suppose, and and probably shook my confidence early on that I was, you know, somewhat of an imposter in an industry. Whereas I looked at other people who grew up on a farm, and they just so instantly knew so much more about what was going on than I did. But over time, I've actually tried to turn it into a bit of a bit of a positive, a bit of a benefit in the fact that I am a bit of an outsider when it comes to primary production. But, you know, I think I also come from things at a different angle when you're not so emotional around the actual production of of a commodity, which is a, a lot of the time what's being produced. So I've tried to steer it into a bit of a positive because I have a different perspective on things and I have an easier easier sort of path to being a little bit less emotional about decisions that need to be made and when it comes to uh you know selling grain selling any of anything that you produce taking the emotion out of the decision often leads to better outcomes so you want some balance most of the people here at market check the large majority are from a farming background but i think having some balance in the organization isn't a bad thing and i've i've come to terms with the fact that that's what i can offer so yeah it's something that i've I'm quite proud of now and and I find more and more uh, clients, farmers are are quite happy that someone's done the other, you know, we normally lose people in this industry to the metro, you know, to medicine and law and and all the rest of it. And they're quite happy to see someone who's taken an interest in their industry. So, yeah, it works both ways, but it's something I think is now a benefit rather than a hindrance. Yeah. And I think like it, it kind of, I'll say, gives you a bit of an edge in the sense of it's like, well, we weren't born into it, kind of discovered it, fell in love with it, and that's why we're here. So it's, it's um, I wouldn't be here if I didn't love it. So we share that in common with anyone who's grown up on a farm. And if you've got that as a, as a bedrock to go off, then, uh, you know, I think you can be equally successful as a farmer's son or daughter as you can be from, from the city. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's been something that I'm quite proud of that I've, I've steered gone a little bit against the grain and gone into an industry that typically um, is only for people who are from rural backgrounds. Good pun by you as well. How many people do you have at Market Tech? We've just hit about 17. So uh, we are, we've just put a few people on. Um, we're in the middle of harvest at the moment. So we've got probably the bigger workforce that we typically have. But yeah, about 17 office in Adelaide, office in Wagga and office here in Sydney. So it's uh, the team's growing and going in the right direction, which is good. Hi, I'm Pia, horticulture and sugar analyst at Rabobank, and I'm here to share our latest insights on Australia's vegetable market. 
Did you know in 2023, Australia produced over $5.8 billion worth of vegetables, though only 4.3% of this was exported. Like many other countries, the Australian vegetable industry relies mostly on its domestic market. In fact, only 7% of global vegetables produced are traded between countries. But we are starting to see that trend change. Global trade is growing at a faster rate than production, and countries with low cost production are seeing the highest growth rates. You can learn more about trends in the vegetable market on our latest Rabo Research Australia podcast, Mapping World Vegetable Trade, or reach out to me via the Rabobank Australia social media channels to learn more. And you've been with the business for a little bit. You're head of strategy before stepping into the chief executive role for it's been less than six months. How's that transition been for you? And I guess I find it so fascinating because I often think that we forget that people are human and they come into a new role and they're still going to have the same hesitations and whatever else. But how has that transition been? I'm the same as you. I, I, you know, it's like the old imposter syndrome. I, everyone gets it, right? You are a bit of an imposter. It's a brand new role. You're, you're trying to feel it out. So, But I suppose the transition has been pretty good. I've been with the business nearly eight years, I think. So I did have a little bit of a tailwind behind me, given that I'm a bit of a known quantity and, and the retention that we have in our staff here at MarketCheck is probably second to none. So most people have been with us for five to 15 years with some being 20. So everyone's very competent in what they do and everyone knows what needs to be done. So that's allowed me not to have to come in and, and really do much more than just help coordinate people and resources to where where I think the business has the best opportunity. So the transition, I'm still in the transition phase. I, I keep telling myself that one day I'll fully transition into the new role. But, you know, I think in a small organisation with a pretty flat org structure, uh, it's likely that, that um, you know, my role will always encompass part of what I was doing before as head of strategy and, and, and the CEO role. But, yeah, it's as I said, it's it's been made a lot easier given the team that we have here and, and the amount of experience uh, of, of the staff. Can I ask a really nitty-gritty question? Yeah. How do you go? as So, chief executive, it's still a small team under 20 people, like departmentalising it, but then also having people work across things. How do you do that so you guys actually have an efficient workplace? Uh, yeah, it's it's... It's not a nitty-gritty question. It's a very good question. It's something that is evolving all the time about trying to get that balance right, basically. And I'd love to say that I've we've got it right already, but it's something, as I said, that changes all the time. At the moment, it's about making sure everyone's got very clear objectives about what their role is. But equally, with a young team, we also have to give people exposure to all different things to, so they can find out what they really enjoy and what they're really good at. So I suppose we're still trying to work that out, basically, Ollie. It's, it's, it's something that um, that is ongoing and trying to find that balance between putting everyone into silos and making their jobs particularly niche and monotonous and then also, uh, but on the flip side, trying to get everyone to be everything to everyone and, and be across the entire business is equally not effective. So it's about, so I go about it, in a way of trying to speak to the staff as much as possible. And we've got quite a young part of the team as well. And it's about basically engaging with them and, and trying to figure out what makes them tick. Because if you're doing something that doesn't make you tick, it's only a matter of time until you're going you're gonna to be back on seek.com trying to find something else that does. So yeah, it's an evolving process and one that I'm certainly still right in the 
in the trenches trying to sort out. No, that's good because we're only a team of three and ask that, yeah, out of, because at the moment we have everyone bouncing across things, but then at the same time too, it's like, well, we've got aspirations up here, but we've only got three of us. There's only so much time. It's a really hard thing with resource and scale and it's, it's an impossible equation to get exactly right. I just hope that we're pushing in the right direction, even if, even if we're off course here and there on things that we do, as long as the direction is generally uh, forward and the business is, is growing, you know, I'm pretty happy with that. And we can tweak the engine or the structure as, um, as we need fit as we go on. But as long as everyone's singing from the same hymn sheet and we all know what the core objective of the business is, if that's our North Star and we're going towards that, you know, I'm happy to keep pushing forward. And as I said, you can always pull the steering wheel left or right if you feel like it needs to. For sure. So when, for you as the CEO, like what is it that you want to create as a workplace and how do you want to lead your team? I suppose I've always gone about wanting to create a team and I hope this will emulate through the role um, as I get further into it about approachability. First off, I've worked in a couple of roles in bigger organisations where if you saw something that didn't make sense to you or you didn't agree with or didn't understand, it was very much you have to speak to your boss and he speaks to the boss's boss and, and, and all of that. And I really didn't like that because a lot of the time you weren't given access or, or at least explained what was going on or, or the senior management weren't utilising some younger talent that had really good ideas or were on the coalface and knew exactly what was going on or how a decision would impact them. So I've really wanted to try and create a team that is quite flat, you know, where everyone in the organisation is working with the CEO, the COO, to the harvest casual marketing person. It's all very communal. So it's all, I want everyone to be able to come up to me or Brett Stevenson who owns a business and be able to pick holes in what we're doing, challenge what we're doing and make sure that if I can't explain to you the direction that the business is going or a decision that we've made to a point that you're satisfied why I've made that decision, then I myself shouldn't be making that decision. So I've really wanted to make it very open and, and transparent and challengeable in everything that we're doing and that, that's across anyone in the organisation. And I suppose the other thing is, you know, for me, it's all about being a leader, I suppose, in the business, but being in the trenches with the team as well. You know, it's, it's, I'm a big believer in kind of leading from the front and not asking anyone to do something that I wouldn't otherwise do myself. So I suppose the whole leadership structure is about trying to lead from the front and, but allow people the, the freedom and, and safety to basically challenge everything that leadership's doing to make sure that everyone is 100% confident in, in what we're doing. And I think that's where it becomes really interesting, isn't it? Because then you get the buy-in of people because it's like, well, actually, Nick's not telling me that we have to do this because of X, Y, Z. It's like, well, he's given us the example of where we want to go, but actually I can... The buy-in is probably the most important thing for me. And that's, that's, I want people to buy into market check. We've got particular philosophies about how we approach clients and how we approach markets. And, and we just find over time, over my, you know, eight years here, and Brett will say the same, he's been, you know, market checks nearly 30 years old. People need to buy into the value that we're creating and the difference between the outcome for the business with someone who really believes in the value that we are creating for our clients versus someone who doesn't or isn't equipped enough to be able to buy in is chalk and cheese. So, yeah, I, I think that really puts it, you know, nails it on the head in terms of 
buying into the culture. We work very hard buying into the culture of being able to challenge everything that we do and buying into basically why market check is here and, and the philosophy that, that we take to our clients and the value that we try to add to them. So a, a couple of questions before we can jump into a bit of a, a grain update, but I'm interested, have you gone back to Cranbrook and talked about careers in agriculture or anything since you've been out in the big wild world? No, I haven't. I would probably be one of the only people who went to Cranbrook who, who went into agriculture. And uh, to be honest, you know, I love the industry so much. My phone is is, is always, always uh, there for them to call. I think it's a really, really big missing piece in agriculture at the moment in terms of, you know, I've got a lot of friends from Sydney with no agricultural connection. I'm probably about their only agricultural connection that they realise at least. And they, the gap or the knowledge gap between people in agriculture and people are not has, in my view, probably never been wider. And there is never, ever even a mention of agriculture as a career path at any of the Sydney schools that I'm aware of. So I've never gone back, but I think there's a really big place for agriculture to do a lot of that because at the moment the perception is agriculture means being a farmer. There is no recognition of the ecosystem, which is enormous, that goes around. The, the, the farmer is the heart of everything that is agriculture, but there is a massive ecosystem with what I think probably the best opportunities of any industry available to people who want a career in it, and yet there's really no recognition of that as a career path when you're at high school. So I think it's a really big opportunity for us to do that. But in saying that, um, you know, like every city school, we got lawyers and people in finance and, and property. But um, yeah, I, I've, I've never gone back to, to Cranbrook, but I'd, I'd be very open to doing it. So you kind of answered a little bit there, but a question I love asking people, if you had the chance to go and chat to year 10 students, what would you tell them about through your lens? Like, what is modern agriculture and what is the opportunities for them? I mean, what is agriculture? I suppose you're working in, for me, agriculture punches well above its weight. It's not an industry that that gets nearly as much recognition as it should. So you're working in something that's, that's far bigger than yourself and an industry that will allow you to make a very big impact on, on the world around you. So the world around you without, you know, if you go into finance or property or whatever it is, it's very easy. You'll just become a real estate agent or you work for a bank and that's, and you're in a, you're a, you're a little cog in a very big industry. Whereas agriculture is very big, but you have a lot of opportunity to influence change and influence the industry as a whole. And I, I think that's really exciting. You know, I've, in through my career, I've been able to do some really amazing things that I'm very proud of that I look at other people who have gone into these bigger sort of more generic industries that, that, are, that are just are not nearly as exciting. So it's a very challenging industry. It comes with the risk of droughts and floods and, and all the rest of it. And, the, you know, you're at the mercy, certainly in what we do at Market Check, to what the weather does. But with that comes a lot of opportunity and a lot of chance to really influence change in something that whether people realise it or not, is about the most important industry in the world. So what I'd say to a year 10 person is at least just call someone you know in ag and have a conversation with them. Don't just jump straight into the industries that look uh, like they're, they're you know, finance or, or property. 
jump on the phone and just give someone a call and let them let them explain what they do and the opportunities they see because it's not an industry that's going to lose relevance that's for sure you're working in something that i think is only going to become more and more prevalent and the skills that you can hone in agriculture will only become more valuable so that's what i would say and i would say uh to finish that just because you work in agriculture doesn't mean you have to be a farmer there's there is so many career paths for every one farmer there's there's a handful of people outside of that who work in agriculture so yeah just pick up the phone and and call someone or call a few people uh to see what their view is definitely i think the thing that i took away and it's partly of what we try and do but is it how do we make ag recognizable so people see it and it's like yeah to me like it's a huge part of driving me it's like well yes i want to work in agriculture but i don't necessarily want to be a farmer and it's like all these different doors and things have opened and i think also pushing that message that come into it you don't have to stay but i think once people are into it and they've experienced they go oh my god how good are these people whether it is in the city or you get to go and get your your boots dirty on the farm there's just so many amazing people. I mean, this is really a bit of kudos for what you're doing, but I suppose if you're a city person, and I was one of these people before I came into the industry, and I've got plenty of friends of mine who are, a lot of what they see in agriculture is a bad news story. Oh, there's a drought somewhere. The media is very good at making out these big stories, and, and they are very important, obviously, but a lot of the feedback that I get is, oh, the you know the farmers are another drought, or it's floods this time, or it's always quite negative, or the livestock prices have fallen through the floor, and and we don't do a good enough job of highlighting the benefits of the industry. You know, I, that's that's all you see is the negative um, parts, which are there uh, as they are in any industry. Uh, you know, you go through a GFC. Uh, for us, a GFC or, or a recession is a, is a drought, but all we sort of focus on is the bad things and the hardship of of agriculture and i think there's really a lot of place and it speaks to what you're doing in actually highlighting the opportunity you know every every industry has its challenges but there's as big an opportunity in agriculture as any other industry that i that i've ever come across and it's about trying to get that message across to people in the city that it's not all doom and gloom in ag it's there's there's a very vibrant and successful industry here that is very well worth consideration if you're looking for a career change or, or starting your career. Totally. So a very quick one for anyone who's listening at this stage and wants a bit of a grain market update. We are recording, what are we, mid, mid-November, far out. So really, well, I couldn't get over, I was chatting to a mate in Moree the other day and I was like, how's harvest going? He's like, oh, we've finished a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> But can you give us a run around? So maybe starting in, in Queensland, like how obviously harvest is, yeah, there's less grain coming in than other years, but where are we at and what are some of those regions that have maybe been a little bit surprising as we kind of run down the east coast? Unfortunately, the Queensland crop was just not very good. You know, they just they just had a disaster of a 2023. Prices are very high for grain, which is helping compensate them for lower yields, but there was a lot of growers who really just, didn't get a crop and or what they did get back is not going to make a meaningful difference to their to their year. So very tough in Queensland, more largely the same. If you go further into the eastern cropping belts from more it got a little bit better. But you know, I think if you track down the Newell Highway down New South Wales, anything west has really struggled. It's been a very poor year. Anything east 
managed to get out okay. The the amount of rain that we've had in the last couple of years has put a pretty good soil moisture profile under the crop. So a lot of crops are being harvested now off the back of of rain that fell months and months and months ago. So yeah, if you go further down through New South Wales, it gets a little bit better. The crops in southern New South Wales are, are actually quite good. They managed to get under a bit of rain in October, which really saw the crop through. So a lot of those guys are only just starting harvest or wheat harvest at least. At the same time, as you mentioned, the more guys are are eyeing off a Christmas holiday. They're they're done. So yeah, the crop gets better as you head. Yeah, skiing in Japan. Yeah, but with the jet ski, you're going to Japan for uh, <laughs> going for skiing. It's uh, yeah, it's it's one or the other for uh, growers up in the northern New South Wales. But into Victoria, the crop is probably the best relative to its sort of average. Those guys have have really done quite well this year. As you head into South Australia, not as good. You know, great crop coming into spring, and then the taps just completely turned off. And WA a little bit the same. It's not too bad but certainly nowhere near where it was last year. So what we've really seen to summarise is probably a return to normal after a number of record grain crops or winter cereal crops in Australia. This is about the most average on a national level as we've had in six or seven years. So Maybe it's just, well, I won't say it's a good thing, but coming back to average is probably a bit different to just the volatility that's existed over the last, God knows, a little while anyway. So We've gone a couple of droughts we had the biggest crop in history in 2016 then we hit some drought for you know for new south wales and then the rest of the country then the lanina popped up and we had record crop after record crop and then we're back to now average so as you say there's you never want to see anyone struggle but um you know it has been an amazingly volatile a handful of years for grain production in this country. So, yeah, a bit of a return to normal is, isn't anything more than probably expected. We was always going to, you know, we weren't always going to have these massive crops nor be in drought. So, yeah, we'll see how it pans out. You made me think of one question and you can choose to answer it or not. But to you, where is God's country? Where is God's country? This is going to really, uh, this is, desire. this is, I'm going to piss off the people I know in uh, north of Moree in North Star. I would class, I mean, you've got, geez, you've got the YP down in SA, which is about as beautiful as you'll find. And, and those guys have just, just, it's just great country. To me, I think of being from Sydney, living in Wagga, living in Young, around that Harden, Wallenbean sort of area, the, the Southern Golden Triangle. That's, that's to me, if I could pick anywhere in the country where I'd, where I'd buy some land and become a farmer. That's that's where I'd go. So the Southern Golden Triangle would be, uh, yeah, around that area would be my pick. Set yourself up at the Wombat Hotel. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's not much, but uh, yes, it's a wonderful institution, the old Wombat Hotel. So yeah, I'd be very happy to call that my local. I actually think I might have to start to introduce that question more often because everyone seems to call their neck of the woods God's country. We'll put it out to the audience. Yeah, people who live out in um, in Burke or Will Kenya will probably not say that that's the Golden uh, you know, the Golden Triangle, and no offence to them, but it's just, you know, it's a very volatile place to live. But I think you'll, um, yeah, you'll get very different different answers depending on where you've grown up, I think. Yeah, I don't think we'll get consensus, but... No, Nick, thank you so much for taking the time to have a chat with us. It's been bloody good and really interesting. I think also, like, congratulations to you because I think this is the thing with ag, isn't it? It's like if you come in with interest and passion, anything's kind of possible, and to see you stepping in, just over the last six months into the chief executive role at Market Check's really cool and can't wait to see what's ahead as well. 
Likewise, mate, it's good to watch you guys do what you're doing. And as I said, there's a huge, you know, perception gap between agriculture and and uh, and the metro areas and uh, and it's forums like this and, and other things that we can do to try and bridge that gap. So at least the city has a better knowledge about what we're doing and, and equally we're trying to expand our recruitment pool so we can try and get us the best people into this industry to keep pushing it forward. So it's been a pleasure. Absolutely. Awesome. Thanks a lot. Thanks, mate. Well, that's it for another episode from us here at Humans of Agriculture. We hope you're enjoying these podcasts and, well, if you're not, let us know. Hit us up at hello at humansofagriculture.com. Get in touch with any guest recommendations, topics or things you'd like us to talk and get curious about. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend. Rate, subscribe, review it. Any feedback is absolutely awesome and we really do welcome it. So look after yourselves, stay safe, stay sane. We'll see you next time. See ya.